0: Welcome to the Fintech one-on-one podcast, episode number 374. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Fintech Nexus. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our comprehensive news service, fintech nexus news not only covers the biggest fintech news stories our daily newsletter delivers the 10 most important fintech stories into your inbox every morning and we have special editions for latin america as well as uk and europe stay on top of fintech news by subscribing at news.fintechnexus.com slash subscribe Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Matt Oppenheimer. He is the CEO and co-founder of Remitly. Now, Remitly, as the name suggests, is in the remittance business. They are all about sending money overseas, and we talk about exactly how they do that, the challenges that that involves. We talk about that in some depth. We talk about the typical customer who is the typical person who is sending money back often to their home country. We talk about the role of cash, talk about the role of crypto. And Matt also provides his vision for the future of the remittance space. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks, Peter. Great to be here. Okay, great to have you. So let's kick it off um, by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. Like I know you've been doing Remitly now for quite some time, but um, can you take us back, give us some of the highlights of your career to date before Remitly?
1: Fifth generation So I'm from the US, Boise, Idaho. Went to Dartmouth undergrad, then did investment consulting for a couple of years. So I was working primarily on venture capital private equity, although I was on the client side. A great exposure with LPs, Limited Partners, did investment consulting there for a couple of years, went to Harvard for business school, then joined Barclays Bank in a a general management program. So not investment banking, but retail and commercial banking. Uh, Originally in London, UK Corporate Bank, bank that's been around longer than the United States. Uh, So that was a fascinating experience, right? (laughs) And then I was in the coverage group. So sales group was kind of chief of staff for the head of UK Corporate Banking Sales. And then moved to Nairobi, Kenya. I was head of mobile and internet banking initiatives for Barclays Bank Kenya, consumer banking, launched internet banking, helped improve their mobile phone banking platform. And it was in Kenya. We'll talk a lot about remitly, but I've traveled to close to 100 countries throughout my life, even though I grew up in Boise. And it was most poignantly, though, in Kenya, I saw, you know, it was pain for me to send money internationally. I was getting paid in pounds, living in Kenyan shillings, eventually I had to get money back to US dollars. But I saw how much more important. It was, and how much even more difficult it was for a lot of my Kenyan friends to receive remittances from their loved ones abroad, and and that combined with Mpesa, a mobile wallet that was transforming domestic financial services at the time, felt like the right opportunity to start Remitly. So that brings us ten years later, having founded the business, where we're at today.
0: Right. What what led you to move to Kenya? Was it just you thought it was going to be a fun opportunity, something different. It's a bit of a change to go from London to Kenya.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So at Harvard Business School, one of my professors, who then became Dean, his name is Nitin Noria, he gave me phenomenal advice. I mentioned I've traveled to close to 100 countries. And so I knew I wanted an international experience coming out of HBS, and I knew I wanted a general management experience, which, by the way, is not the most typical path for somebody graduating from HBS. So I was seeking that out. And Nitten was my professor in this formative class called Authentic Leadership Development. And so I went to him for advice as I was debating on job opportunities. And I said, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to go to Barclays. I'm going to go to London. And while London is a very international city, I love it. He told me a year or two in advance of me actually making this decision, he's like, you're going to get to London. I also said, you know, they have a presence in, at the time, 10 African countries. And he said, Matt, you're going to get to London. You're going to be working at One Churchill Place, which is the headquarters for Barclays. Everyone is going to tell you stay there, and when they tell you that, if you're really drawn to have an international experience, follow your gut of what you're telling me now and move to you know East Africa is where I specifically wanted to focus, and that didn't happen. Right, like you get to London, the headquarters. Everybody was like, "What are you thinking? Like you're trying to build your career here at Barclays. You're at the headquarters. Why are you moving so far away and shifting from commercial to retail banking?" But it was the best decision I could have ever made. It was the road less traveled. It led me to. The idea to start Remitly. And I'm super, super grateful for Nitin's advice and, and how it's kind of brought me to here today.
0: Right. I'd like to dig in a little bit, if we could, into that founding story that you just touched on with Remitly. I mean, you, you saw the challenges that people in Kenya are having. It's one thing to see the challenges. It's another thing to start a company to help solve them. So tell us a little bit about your thought process and some of the, the sort of the formative stages of the company.
1: One of the pieces of advice that I got, we went to Techstars, which is like an accelerator program, six months after I started the company. There was a mentor in Techstars, which leads to the answer to your question. He said, Find something that pisses you off, find a problem that pisses you off. I've kind of refined it a bit to be like, Find something that you want to solve or find a problem you want to solve. But his advice was astute in the sense that I think a lot of entrepreneurs fall in love with a solution, not a problem. And so for me, I knew I wanted to start a company. Like I interned at a venture capital firm in college. I've always been drawn to that. I come from a family of entrepreneurs going back to like the gold rush in Boise, where they started the local mercantile store. But I didn't know the problem I wanted to solve. I knew I wanted to leverage technology because you can have a bigger global impact. But I was really patient trying to find that problem I wanted to solve. And I found it, as I mentioned, in Kenya with remittances and how difficult they were. I did not know the solution when I started it. I thought it would be from mobile phones to mobile wallets. Mobile wallets are a great way to disperse funds in certain countries like Kenya. turns out at the time in the Philippines, nobody really wanted to get money into a mobile wallet. So there were a bunch of pivots in the early days that I won't bore you with, but there were significant pivots, that being one of them, broad disbursement network, as opposed to just sending funds to a mobile wallet, but lots of other pivots. And so I think that was one is falling in love with the problem, not a solution in terms of the founding story. The other component of the founding story is I think it takes a leap of faith. I think that there's so much complexity, so much more complexity in remittances than meets the eye. And I think, had I sat and tried to outline everything that you need to do to start a money transmission company, I would have been like, yeah, good luck, buddy. That's, <laughs> that's very, very difficult. And I think that there's a tenacity that's required that if you talk to any entrepreneur, I think tenacity and perseverance and just taking one step forward every day is an often underappreciated value in successful entrepreneurs. It's less about the idea, it's more about finding the problem and then having the tenacity and audacity to just keep chipping away at it to get through the barriers and the complexities that come with
0: starting a new business. This is not a new idea, right? There's been, I mean, there are some companies in this remittance space that have been around, I think, not as old as Barclays, but certainly quite well-established companies. What was going to be different with Remittly? Was it going to be a cost-saving piece? You obviously must have looked at these companies deeply, I imagine, before you started, right?
1: The first answer to the question is I think that Timing also matters for starting a business. And the timing benefit that we had was I started the business in 2011. Easy to forget, 10 years ago, like the first iPhone was launched in 2007, launched. So not everybody had an iPhone in 2011 or an Android or a smartphone device, especially in emerging markets. And that's exploded, obviously. And I think that that has also made the world much more connected to where you can provide a better customer experience. So believe it or not, like 15, 20 years ago, on your point, there are remittance companies out there, one specifically has been around over 150 years. It used to be that you'd like fax the details in the back end, the remittance company would like fax the details to the like center office of a cash pickup location in the Philippines, and then they would fax the details to like one of the 7,000 islands in the Philippines. And it was delay, it was fraught with delays, with costs, with complexity. And so not only is there a better way with smartphones to connect directly with consumers, but also. There is a way to speed up and make transactions much faster and much more affordable. And that's the macro trend that I saw with M-Pesa on the receive side in Kenya, but is something that is much broader than just picking up funds into mobile wallets. Smartphones have, have obviously transformed the way the world works, the connectivity, and we've been able to therefore provide a much better customer experience that's much faster and more affordable. So that was the main insight. But a lot of it does come down to timing and kind of understanding, you know, where those trends are happening and and starting businesses at the right time. Right, right. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So then how do you describe Remittly today?
1: Our vision is to transform the lives of immigrants and their families. So senders and receivers by providing the most trusted financial services on the planet. And most of what we do is remittances. You know, we send billions of dollars a quarter now. And yet we're 2-ish percent of the total addressable market. And so a lot of room to continue to grow. And you can think of us like most of what we do is a mobile phone alternative to an offline cash-based way of you know, going and giving physical money to send money back to places like Mexico, India, and the Philippines. Is this
0: from the US to these countries? Or is it, what are the main corridors that you're talking about?
1: Yeah, we send money between 135 countries now. But that means that money is generally originated from... North America, so U.S. and Canada, Europe, and then a few APAC countries like Australia and Singapore. So customers link their bank account, their debit card, whatever local payment system is available in that country. And then they can send money to over 100 receive markets in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. And the way that funds are picked up are either instant bank deposit to billions of bank accounts, hundreds of millions of uh, mobile wallets around the globe, hundreds of thousands of cash pickup locations, Door-to-door delivery is popular in a handful of markets where a courier comes and delivers funds to your door. And regardless, the recipient is getting updates every step of the way on you know, where the funds are at and any reference numbers if they need that to pick up the funds when the funds have been deposited into the account, etc. So that's how the product works.
0: I'd like to kind of dig into what you just said there. And you've got someone who's working, let's say they're working in America, they're sending money to the Philippines, for example. Like they have an app, they have a remittly app on their phone that's connected to their bank account, I imagine. So they put in an amount and who they want to send it to. And then what happens after that exactly? How do they, like you said, there's all sorts of different delivery mechanisms and that, is that dependent upon where that person is exactly or what is the process?
1: So the vast majority of our transactions are, are existing customers, you know, repeat transactions to send money back for, you know, basic living expenses, tuition, emergency medical expenses, etc. So just for context, it's usually just a couple of clicks in that way. But I'll explain the first time kind of customer experience so you get a sense. The customer will download the app or go to any digital device. They'll link their bank account or their debit card. They'll give us information they need to so we can verify their identity for compliance reasons and security reasons. Things like name, address, last four of social security number in the U.S. context or date of birth uh, or tax ID. And then they'll enter in the recipient's name and they'll enter in the recipient's phone number so we can give them real-time updates. And then they'll pick how they want to send money to that recipient. And that could be via a bank account and they'll enter in the recipient's bank account. They can also enter in the recipient's debit card number via a partnership we have with Visa that then sends the fund into the bank account linked to that debit card. They can send money to cash pickup locations of which they'll select the cash pickup location. And we'll send a text message saying, Matt sent you 10,000 pesos, take this reference number and your ID to the nearest cash pickup location to pick up the funds. Door-to-door delivery I mentioned where a courier comes to your door, mobile wallets, et cetera. And after the sender has selected all those options, they click send. And then usually within minutes, The recipient then gets a text message saying the funds have been deposited into that bank account, or here's that reference number. And the sender will also get updates every step of the way. So that's how the product works. It looks very simple. But when you add in a lot of the compliance, a lot of the fraud prevention, a lot of, you know, we've done integrations with over 100 disbursement partners in emerging markets to be able to deliver funds instantly across the billions of options that I mentioned, There's a lot of complexity, much more than meets the eye to enable an instant transfer of funds, you know, halfway across the world oftentimes.
0: Right. Yeah, I can imagine particularly the ones with physical kind of, like, it's one thing to get a debit card and or a bank account. But when you say you've got to go pick it up at that location, which I imagine that in these emerging markets, are the recipients often using phones that aren't smartphones? Is that pretty typical? So you said you can send a text message and you communicate via text. Is that... Is that more prevalent than smartphones in these emerging markets?
1: Yeah, it's evolved over the last 10 years of building the company. I'd say more and more individuals not only have smartphones, but they have reliable data access. And it's going to vary significantly based on the market. Mexico is going to be a very different market than the Philippines, than India, than El Salvador, than Kenya, than South Africa. But more and more, as you can imagine, it's smartphones, it's reliable data access. So when I say text, it's being able to communicate to that recipient in the way they can get that information and then go pick up the funds.
0: Is it becoming more of an edge case where they use cash or is it more like they've got a smartphone but they might not have a bank account, right? So I don't know if you can give us any broad numbers, but what are like, what's the prevalence of cash versus some sort of electronic kind of wallet type receiving?
1: We don't break it out specifically partially because it varies significantly depending on the market. And so when you look at a global average, it would be so skewed by which markets you know we have a larger share in versus not. What is the important principled component of that question that's important to understand is, is that there are varying ways that people like to receive funds, including like there are some markets that are predominantly door-to-door delivery, where a courier would go and deliver funds to your door. That is unheard of and not even an option in most other markets. And so what we have done well, something we talked about in our S1 when we went public, is we said remittances are global, customers are local, and doing localization at scale is incredibly important in our business. And it's another part of the complexity, whether that's you know how customers want to receive funds, whether it is how localized from a language perspective our app is, depending on the country we serve. There's a bunch of examples, but the takeaway is remittances are very much global, but customers are very, very much local.
0: Are you still expanding into new geographies? You said you had like 135 countries, or whatever. There's, there's still a few countries left in the world beyond that. But I imagine it's quite a labor-intensive process for you guys, right, to expand into a new geography.
1: It is, although it gets faster each time. So we are expanding into new geographies. But you can imagine like the second either new send or receive geography, it was everything from language to payment acceptance to doing the compliance you know, identification when you go into your, we're now in more than 20 origination markets, when you go into your 21st origination market, there are only so many ways to collect funds. There are only so many ways to do identity verification. And so we've gotten a lot faster because there are patterns. And then that's even faster on the receive side because of the fact that on the receive side, we've done over 100 integrations. And so it's just about adding a new disbursement partner. We have standard contracts and you know APIs integrations that we do with our disbursement partners now. That's one of the advantages, not unlike a lot of other payments companies that we have with scale, is things get a lot faster and easier to add new markets. What we're equally doing, in addition to adding markets, is going deeper into those markets. So if there's a disbursement option in India, let's call it, and we maybe access local payment rails via one of the large banks there, but we see another large bank has a lot of volume going directly to it. And why leverage the local payment rails as opposed to go do another direct integration with that Indian banking partner? What that does is, first and foremost, creates much less friction for the customer because there are fewer intermediaries. And then secondarily, it brings our costs down. So that is how we think about it is not only going broader, but going deeper into those markets to improve the customer experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. So then, can you give us a sense of like the profile of the customer, particularly like who's the sender, who's the recipient? I know it's obviously broad, but I'd love to kind of get a more information about the people using your service. I think the first
1: and probably most important point is that our customers make a really positive impact. They move away from their loved ones, often very close family, kids, parents, siblings, cousins—you name it to build a better life for themselves and their families back home. And in the process of doing that, they make a hugely positive impact on the countries that they move to, whether that's via new perspective, innovation. I don't have the stats in front of me but you look at the number of technology companies alone founded by immigrants and the impact that's had on our lives. It's unbelievable. And then they also provide like a set of essential skills to the workforce more broadly. And that really varies by country, right? You've got immigrants that use our product that come from Mexico, India, Philippines, Kenya, Guatemala, El Salvador, or Peru, you name it. And it's a wide range of jobs because of that. But all of them have a, a real positive impact on the economies that they move to. And then in the face of countless really obstacles and challenges that they have, they explain to us that they view it as a sense of duty. Our customers use that word frequently, a sense of obligation. Quite frankly, when I started the business, I thought it was going to be much more of a motive I wouldn't have guessed it was the words duty and obligation. That's what we hear from our customers. But it makes sense. They're sending money back to their close family. And part of why they moved abroad is to be able to send money back. And so that is what really brings a lot of purpose and heart to our business is our customers, I think, have been underserved broadly, including with financial services and remittances specifically, to be able to hold them up, to honor them, to make it such a critical part of why they moved abroad easier. And then to see the impact that those funds make On the recipients that they send money to, I mentioned basic needs, but also things like emergency medical expenses during things like you know a global pandemic or natural disasters, war like Ukraine is a corridor that we serve. It's not material, but it's an important one. And the notes I've gotten from a humanitarian standpoint, and seeing that our product's been able to help our customers and their families through some really tough times, that's why we do what we do. So our customers are diverse; they're amazing. They make huge sacrifices. They deserve better solutions for their financial services needs. And that's where we really have the privilege of being able to serve them.
0: Right, right. And so this population is, as you say, they're underserved. They're underserved, uh, particularly by the banks in their their adopted country. And I'm, I'm an immigrant as well. I moved from Australia, but uh, I was uh, underserved when I first arrived here. So there's a few fintechs. Um, obviously, you're taking on the remittance piece. There's other fintechs taking on diff- other pieces of financial services. But banks still, for the most part, ignore this population. What do you think they're missing? I'd love to get your thoughts on that.
1: And by the way, we could probably swap stories like when you moved to the US and what it was like to like even get a bank account. When I moved to the UK and I worked for a retail bank, the <laughs> process of getting a bank account without having all the local documentation... So hard. Is that what you were referencing when you moved to the US and how hard it was?
0: It was was incredibly hard. Uh, And the bank account actually ended up, once I got a social security number, it was relatively easy, but you had to wait. And in the meantime, you've you've got to live. And you have, I had my American Express card, which I moved over from Australia. So I was able to use that everywhere. But for like this, like two month period, I was just living in limbo. It's crazy.
1: And so, honestly, I think that they're missing a very resilient and large customer base i think that there're 250 million migrants that live and work outside the country they were born now there're like 7 billion people on the planet now so industries like financial services and banking they are so large that there are also the general assumption is to go after kind of the mass market so to speak but it means that there are customer large customer segments not niches but large customer segments like our customer base that I think to be fair to banks do have a very unique set of pain points and needs and so you have to have a lot of expertise and focus in that area might hold them back from doing it but i think that they're missing a you know very resilient very large customer base that's only growing even with some short-term nationalism etc if you look at it on a global basis the world is just becoming more globalized it has and it will continue to and i think this is a customer base that's
0: really important to serve and serve well yep yep completely agree so Okay, I want to switch gears and talk about crypto, if I may, because there's been uh, remittances, there's been a lot of talk, you talk about Ukraine, there's been a lot of talk about crypto as a way for people to sending money back and forth there. It's entered the remittance space, right? There are some companies that are doing it. So what is your view on crypto and how have you explored it for remittances for you guys?
1: We certainly watch crypto very closely and have for the last 10 plus years since I started the business and Bitcoin was starting to emerge. And there's a lot of exciting things happening in the crypto space from my perspective. It's obviously from a value perspective over the last several months taken a hit. But when I look at it, I'm less from a speculative standpoint. And I'm more saying, where is the technology actually solving customer pain points or pain points that exist? And personally, I've been intrigued with things like NFT. I think the idea of digital ownership is really interesting. When it comes to remittances, that often has been, I feel like, something that folks have talked about. Hey, apply crypto. Or blockchain to remittances and make it free, I think has been a narrative that's been out there. And that is something that we've thought about deeply in terms of how could that reality be the case and what's inherent in that statement or assumption. First, you have to understand where the costs are in remittances. And the two largest variable costs are onboarding and offboarding funds. So collecting those funds from customers via bank account or debit card quickly and without fraud, et cetera, and then dispersing funds which is all the range of options that we mentioned. Then there's a bunch of fixed costs, whether that's the compliance infrastructure, fraud prevention, security, just building a great mobile app, etc. But let's take out those for a minute and just look at the variable cost. If there was one single cryptocurrency that everybody used globally, then that would disintermediate not only us, but it would disintermediate banks, financial services, institutions. A lot of governments, I think, would have some concern around it because of how they collect taxes, how they you know control their currencies, central banks, et cetera. But that is something that I think when you look back ten years ago, what folks were thinking Bitcoin would become. We pretty early said seems more volatile. seems like it might be a store of value like gold. And that's what it's become. I think what is most applicable today is things like stable coins, things like to some extent, central bank digital currencies. There have been some important lessons that have been learned around how one global currency is not necessarily a technology problem. It's more of a regulatory challenge. We've partnered with some of the most innovative companies out there to make sure that we're staying ahead of things. Partnered with Meta, partnered with Coinbase is another example. And I think one, there's a lot more complexity than meets the eye on remittances, which is why they partnered with us to be able to do funds disbursement in emerging markets, those 100 plus integrations that we've done over the last 10 years. But I think the second thing is, crypto might be popular in certain countries, like where there's hyperinflation. And for us, that's a big plus because if a customer wants to send money from USD to a stable coin or Bitcoin or you name it in an emerging so as long as the compliance is being done, then that's great with us. And we are very good at fundamentally translating currencies, whether that's crypto to crypto, fiat to fiat, fiat to crypto, you name it. And so I think that there may be, and I say maybe because I think the future is hard to predict, some countries that adopt crypto, maybe not as their primary financial services vehicle, but as an ancillary one. And if that's the case, we can send money into those accounts. But I don't think it's a silver bullet for making remittances free unless there was one global currency and the US dollar and the euro and you name every other currency out there ceases to exist. That I think <laughs> is increasingly an unlikely scenario. And I think yeah. folks are seeing that. So that's how we think about it.
0: Right. So just to be clear then, so if someone wants to receive Money in USDC or Bitcoin or ETH? Are you doing that today? We're not doing that today. We could do that. We're not seeing
1: customer demand for it because okay. if you think about our customer base, think about like a El Salvadorian that makes thirty thousand dollars a year working in a restaurant, let's say, sending you know high percentage of their hard-earned money home. The volatility, the lack of trust, the lack of security—it's just not something that we're seeing demand from our customers. From I mentioned that to say that to the extent we do we can offer that but we're going to be customer led in terms of how we think about what options
0: you know we offer for funds disbursement yeah that makes sense and it might be a relatively trivial technological challenge to do it but you got to have the customer demand right exactly we're getting towards the end of the interview here and i want to get into some of the things that uh, you're working on like i guess maybe a two part question what are some of the interesting things that you're working on today at Remittly? And then what do you think are some of the most interesting things that the broader industry, the payments industry, banking industry is working on?
1: I think for us, it goes back to some of the themes that we've talked about that we've already started to work on, though, from a product standpoint. And that is the fact that it's not only remittances that I would argue are, are broken for immigrants, but there's a wide range of financial services that are not optimized for our customer base. That can be anything from getting a bank account. We have Passbook, which is a bank account specifically designed for immigrants or it could be a wider range of financial services that we're working on to accomplish that vision that I mentioned. And I think we're uniquely suited to do that. And it's a large customer base that we can serve, of which we've already built a trusted brand and have a relationship with millions of customers already. So that's the main thing we're working on outside of remittances. And then in terms of what excites me the most around banking or or payments industry more broadly and what I'm seeing, it's important to delineate between crypto and blockchain and technology just broadly. They're related, obviously. Crypto and blockchain is a subsegment of technology broadly that that is expanding. But I think that there's certainly a rapid change for how financial services are delivered to customers across the globe, including payments that's being driven by technology, by smartphones, by reliable data access, by blockchain, by crypto. And you see everyone from central banks now trying to innovate in the space to fintech companies to Thank goodness banks are trying and some of the broadly defined money transmitters that we're trying to disrupt innovating in that space. And I think at the end of the day, it's going to be a real positive for customers because you take costs out of the system. You build more peace of mind, more trust. There's less friction. And we're really excited about helping lead that. But we're excited about it more broadly, both for immigrants and just for the world overall, because I think it'll be a better spot once we're on the other side of it.
0: Right. And maybe that we could be we could end with that. Where are we going to get to by the end of the decade, shall we say? What's your vision? Yeah, well, I think what's amazing is that
1: still 75 plus percent, try to get perfect data on this. And again, it varies by corridor. I'm going to sound like a broken record. But at a simplistic level, 75 plus percent of remittances are still sent, not received, sent via physical cash locations. And so that's amazing. And that's because of trust, both of smartphones and not that local person in your community where you have that relationship. But that is shifting. It was accelerated by COVID. That I think is a bit of an inflection point around customers and the communities they live in having a critical mass of other friends that they know that trust and have used a digital provider to send money back home. And so I think that where you will see the industry go and where we'll be a big part of that is continued transformation to originate funds via digital devices. It's hard to imagine that not being the case. It's just a matter of what's the timeline for that. But the great thing about the position we're in is the majority of remittances are still sent offline. And that's what we're excited
0: about changing. Okay. Well, I'll leave it there, Matt. Thank you very much for coming on the show. It's a great service you're providing. And I think uh, there's obviously millions of people around the world who are being impacted. So thanks again.
1: Thanks, Peter. Great to see you.
0: As an immigrant myself, I have a soft spot for services that help immigrant populations. While I'm not probably the typical customer that Remitly is focused on, I know what it's like to move to a country and not be able to access services. As I said, and I think there's something about when you move to a new country, the you know the lifeline back home. And I moved over here really before the internet was uh, was established, and it was you know obviously. Very challenging to maintain that connection today. It's a lot easier, and I think what Ribbitly is doing is really helping those people in very real ways, helping them with, uh, you know, getting money back to their families quickly, cheaply, and easily. And I think that's such an important piece. You know, we do live in a world where a lot of people move around and I feel like anything that can sort of help take the cost out, increase the speed is just really helpful for global economic growth. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening. And I'll catch you next time. Bye.